0: to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ, it shows us. Have you been pulling away from the community of Christ, perhaps for fear of your own vulnerability? The atmosphere of the Christian community is exactly what you need. Join us now as we continue our journey through Acts chapter 18 with Cheryl Brodersen. two of Cheryl's message when we all work together. I know when we lived in London,
1: my favorite day of the week was Sunday. It was like Sunday just brought it all together, why we do what we do, why we're in this city. It just brought it all together. And to go there, we'd have a coffee pot, and you could have coffee or tea, we knew where we were, before you went into the sanctuary, and it would be there when you walked out. And we would all just congregate. We were so excited to have each other as the body of Christ. We were an oasis in this pagan city. Later, we got an office in town. And people would just drop in constantly because they needed the oasis. And that's what you see. You see this companionship. Here in this city, Paul is not alone. He's with Aquila and Priscilla. Like Paul, they had felt the sting of rejection. Paul had been ousted from Thessalonica. They had been ousted from Rome. Again, that similarity of experiences, that when you share. Again, when I moved to England, I was scared to death. I didn't speak English. I spoke Californian. I was so afraid I'd say the wrong thing, and I did. I continuously said the wrong thing and shocked all the people in England. Uh, One of the things you don't say is pants because it means underwear there. And here, of course, it means like jeans. And I got up and talked about a woman I knew who was wearing hot pants. And I sent everybody at that luncheon into, like, (gasps) you know, I mean, you look at the expression, like, okay, I said something really, really bad. I said something even worse, but I couldn't tell you up here what I said because it was so bad. And I remember looking at Nancy Sylvester, and she looked. I'd never seen such a look of shock and amusement on one face. And as I looked at her face, I suddenly realized what I had done and went, oh, my goodness. I apologized profusely to everybody. But I remember meeting Nancy and just the commonality that we had together. you know. Dave and Brian are so much alike. And we both had similar backgrounds. She's the child of missionaries. I'm the child of a pastor and his wife. And just, we had both grown up so pure and married men with testimonies. We both had that in common. Our parents had stayed married, but our our spouses both had divorced parents. And it was just, we had this commonality in our fellowship. And it was just... Comforting. It was, I I would call her and she would call me and we would pray for one another. And that's what Paul had with Aquila and Priscilla, working together, making tents. They provided for Paul. It gave Paul an opportunity to make money, to provide for himself while he preached in Corinth. Perhaps they talked about Jesus. Perhaps they interceded together and prayed for this city of Corinth, why they worked together. Paul would mention this couple in two of his epistles and express his love for them. Aquila and Priscilla were a remarkable couple. I especially like the fact that they're always mentioned together. You never get Aquila by himself, and you never get Priscilla by herself. They were a unit, and they ministered and worked together. I love that. Paul would later say in Romans that they risked their necks for him. That they had fellowships in their home. They had become very close with Paul. So close that when Paul left Corinth, they went with him. And they remained in Ephesus while Paul traveled back to Antioch by way of Galatia and Phrygia. Strengthening the believers in those places. The next thing that we see by community the community of Christ, is comfort and courage. Paul, as was his custom, we read in verse 4 that he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And so there he is persuading or reasoning with them until Silas and Timothy arrive and something is stirred by their coming. We're told what this is. Paul explains in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, that he was filled with anxiety. He was concerned about the Thessalonians. Remember, three weeks, persecution had arisen. In fact, he says to the Thessalonians, you received Jesus under great affliction." And I believe Paul is wondering, can they stand? Will their faith make it through? Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 13. And he talked about the gospel being a seed and going in. But he talked about the one reception where it sprouts up. But when persecution arises for the sake of the gospel, it withers up and dies. And I think Paul was praying, oh Lord, let their faith go deeper. Let it be deeper, deeper. And so he sends, or he, Silas and Timothy from Berea, he sends them back to Thessalonica. And there they begin to minister and establish the Thessalonians in the faith, and they bring back this report. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to leave me in Athens alone and send Paul and Timothy with the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us greatly designed to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you and by your faith. So we see that Timothy and Silas brought a word of comfort to the Apostle Paul. Would you think someone like Paul would need comfort? He's so strong. He's so invincible. He gives the word of God. What does that say to you that even Paul needed a word of comfort? He needed to be told that his work was not in vain. That the Lord was with him. It's been a really tough two weeks for me. Really, really tough. And last week, this woman came up to me with a bag. And she said, I feel rather foolish giving this to you, but I just feel like God told me to give this to you. And when I got home, actually, when I got to the office and she was out of sight so I could open it up, I wasn't very good with Christmas presents either. When I opened it up, there was the cutest polar bear a stuffed polar bear it's the cutest thing I have it on my couch downstairs in my family room and she told me every time I miss my dad just to grab it and hug it it's been well loved the last two weeks and I just think you know how precious to think of me because I can look so strong up here of course I'm pretty honest so you know I'm not but I can you know but you know we all need comfort don't we We all need to be told it's going to be all right. We all need to know that our affliction is bearing fruit. That God is using even the tough times to bear fruit. Don't we? So we need to be comforting one another. We need to exercise that gift of comfort. You have not gone through the trials you have been through to keep it to yourself. To say, I'm a survivor. No. You have gone through those things to receive a revelation of Jesus Christ to pass on to another sister in this fellowship. Somebody needs your story. Somebody in this room needs your story. You're not an island. Somebody needs your story. You're going to bring comfort to somebody here. Paul is comforted. Then when Timothy and Silas arrive, Paul is constrained by the Spirit. That means he is literally compelled, urged, pressed. He can't help himself. Now that Silas and Timothy are there, he's going to oppress those people. This Jesus that I've been telling you about, you need him. Because there's this sense of I'm not alone. Aquila and Priscilla, we're not alone anymore. Team Jesus has arrived. And it's time to proclaim boldly this message. Paul no doubt knew that opposition would arise as soon as he began to press these people. And that's exactly what happened. When he began to press, opposition arose in the synagogue. He shakes off his garment and says, You know, that's it. I'm done with you. Justice, who is a Greek, who actually his name is Titus the Just. He opens up his house, which is right next to the synagogue, and says, come in here and bring this news. Which brings us to the next part. Here is a growing community. And in this community, somebody has the gift of hospitality. You know, what does Justice do? He simply opens up his home and says, meet Here, Maybe you don't feel like you have any giftings, but you can always open up your heart to let someone come in. Or you can open up your home, which is what justice does. You've got Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue. He's saved and his whole household. What is Crispus? Contribution? He shows up. He gets saved. Now there is something so elating about someone getting saved. Isn't there? You're like, you're saved? Tell me your testimony. I absolutely love testimonies. I love to hear how Jesus draws people in. When we lived in Vista, I could tell you the testimony of every single usher in our church. One usher got saved. Brian had this thing that on Tuesdays, he decided to go door-to-door witnessing. I was not an Aquila or Priscilla thing then. I let him go alone. Go ahead. I'm not really into that. But he went door to door. And you wouldn't believe the fruit that came out of it. But one of them was this man named Doug who lived two doors down, who received Jesus Christ and started coming to our church. And you know, now he's one of our dearest friends. He's been walking with Jesus for over 20 years. But I could tell you Doug's testimony, how he was in Vietnam, what God had done. There was another young man. And I'll I'll never forget when he got saved. I got this call from Joey Brand that Brian um, wouldn't be coming home right away, that he and Brian needed to go on an emergency call. And they were called out. This girl had called and said, look, my brother just OD'd on cocaine and he might die. Can you go to his house? So Joey and Brian went to this guy's house. They laid hands on him and they began to pray for him. They prayed for him all night. He accepted Jesus. He was saved and delivered. But he had $10,000 worth of cocaine in his house. And together, they flushed it away and praised the Lord. And they prayed protection over him. And those drug dealers never came after him. And he was one of the members of our church. He even became the uh, worship leader for a Sunday school. You never know who you know is who. (laughs) Just amazing testimonies. Yeah, I remember his first Sunday at church. We're like, ah! you know, it was just like so excited. We're all like, mm. you know, we're all loving him. Come back, you know, just receiving him into the body of Christ. Justice received Christmas into his home, into his heart. So we see the sense of community in this atmosphere of community. Those who are in leadership can often feel a grave responsibility for the body of Christ. My mother used to say that she went around feeling responsible for everybody. And I'll tell you, ever since Brian became the pastor, the sense of responsibility is tremendous. I tell him, don't you dare make a mistake. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm feeling it too. Sometimes I feel like I'm walking around with a great big bullseye on my back. I literally do. I feel vulnerable all the time. But this is the good news. The Bible says that we are all sinners, hamartia, which means we've all missed the mark. That means everyone's missing as they shoot at me. So that's a good thing. (laughs) Nobody can hit the bullseye. But you do have this sense of feeling so responsible for everybody. So now remember how Paul felt so responsible for those in Thessalonica, for them to be established, for them to grow. Now you've got Crispus. He's just been saved. You've got justice that is saved, but you've got these angry Jews who are blaspheming. And Paul is concerned, but he's in this community of believers. And that night, we're told that the Lord spoke to him in a vision. And he said to him, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to grow this community. It's going to get even bigger and you don't have to be afraid. It was a very dangerous thing to proclaim the gospel in such a pagan, ruthless city. But Jesus himself was promising his presence, his protection, and his prosperity to Paul that there would be many, many more who would come to faith in that city. We all crave a sense of community. We do. It's it's something that is in us. We crave a sense of belonging. This is where I belong where we are known, where people know our name, they know our situation, they know our difficulties. We crave a place where people are praying for us. Isn't it the greatest thing to call your leader and say, pray for me, put me on the prayer list? To know that people are praying for you. Sometimes can't you just feel it? You're thinking, who's praying for me? Someone is praying for me because I feel it, because I'm not naturally this nice. And you just know, this is not a usual reaction for me. Somebody's praying. You just feel it. You know it. We need a place where we are being strengthened in the faith. But it's, it's got to be that sense of community. We're all coming together for the shared goal of glorifying Jesus Christ and being glorified by Jesus Christ. We're coming together to encourage, to edify, to be there for each other. That's the sense of community. Sometime after this vision and promise from the Lord, the Jews rise up with one accord. But Paul had been prepared for this. And the Lord had spoken to him and said, you will not be harmed. And they grabbed Paul and they take him before the judgment seat of Galileo. No doubt, the believers are praying. You know, it's especially in times like this that you need a sense of community, isn't it? I'm going to court. (laughs) You always need a sense of community praying for you anytime you're going to appear before the magistrates. But the situation, I believe because of prayer, turns against Paul's accusers. The ruler of the synagogue, Sosthenes, perhaps the one bringing the charges against Paul, is taken and beaten by the crowd. Perhaps that's exactly what he needed to be saved so he could be a contributor to the Corinthian church because later we find that he's part of this community. Later we find that it is Paul and Sosthenes that write the first letter of correction to the Corinthians. What a great God we serve. What miracles are done in the community of Jesus Christ. Next comes camaraderie. When Paul decides to return to Jerusalem, Priscilla and Aquila travel with him as far as Ephesus. And there in Ephesus, Paul goes into the synagogue and reasons there before sailing for Caesarea. You know, it's so wonderful not to be alone. You know, just to have somebody walk with you, stand with you. You know, I listened to a sermon by a pastor, and it was so great, because I was listening to it on a Tuesday, and it was on the gift of silence, and he talked about, as a young pastor, that he hated lulls and pauses, and of course, when I heard that, I was like, oh, that could be me. You know, if the phone goes quiet, I'm like, what story can I tell? I mean, I don't know why. You know, some people think silence is golden. I've always thought silence was, you know, a cue that I had to talk, And so here, you know, here's this, this, this pastor. And he's saying that another older pastor saw him just talk, 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 talk. And he said, you know, silence is a gift. And to just go and sit with somebody and just be with them is really the greatest gift you can get. You don't need to talk. And I heard that study on a Tuesday. And Wednesday, um my father's health really went downhill. And I went over there and he was coming in and out of a coma. And for four hours, my daughter and I just sat with him, mainly in silence. We said a couple things. I love you, you're the greatest dad. I can't wait to see you again with hair. Just things like that. (laughs) You're gonna be so handsome, dad. You're gonna be so glorified. Your legs are gonna work. You're gonna build again. Everything you've ever wanted to do, you're going to do. I know you're going to fly. Please take me with you when I get there. You know, we just said those things, but mainly we were just quiet. And we just sat there and we held his hands. And we just were silent. And I think of, of Paul. He had things that were weighing on his mind. He had taken this vow. And, and something was waiting on the apostle as he left Corinth. And Aquila and Priscilla, they just go with him. And then they stay in Ephesus. And they go to the synagogue exactly where Paul had been, just following up on what Paul had been doing. We're told that they opened their house, that when Paul writes the epistle to the Corinthians, he says that Aquila and Priscilla have the meeting place in their house in Ephesus. And so this couple opens up their home, and they go into the synagogue, which brings us to the next point that comes with community, and that is correction. The body of Christ keeps us from false doctrines and from false tangents. In Ephesians 4:14, 4, Paul talking about the body of Christ says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ. We are to speak the truth in love. We can never forget the in love. Because you can speak the truth, but if you don't do it in love, you won't be heard and it will be counterproductive. We are to speak the truth in love. So we see with Aquila and Priscilla that when they hear Apollos, they take him aside privately. They pull him aside. That word, taking him aside, that phrase, actually means to bring him into their home or into their hearts Or to a quiet place. Maybe they took him out for coffee. That's what I would have done. And they just shared with him. Now this is what I want you to note about this. That they first commended all the good things about Apollos. Remember Paul's not there. Luke's not there. So who is telling us all these great things about Apollos? These great things were commended which will be our last point, by Aquila and Priscilla. They're the ones who took notice of all the positive things, that he's eloquent, that he's an Alexandrian Jew, which was a place of education and learning and the origin of the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament translated into Greek, that he was mighty in the scriptures. He knew his Bible, that he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, that he was fervent in spirit, that he taught accurately the things of the Lord. But here's the deficit. But he knew only the baptism of the Lord. He only knew that Jesus had come and been baptized. But he didn't know. I believe he even knew Jesus was the Messiah. But he didn't understand the suffering of the Messiah as Jesus took those disciples, Cleopas, and the other disciple on the Emmaus Road and we're told that he explained the way more excellently too, didn't he? He started in Genesis and moved all the way to the prophets and through the Psalms, proving that the Messiah had to suffer and die and rise again from
0: the dead. We all crave a sense of community, a sense of belonging, A place where we are being strengthened in the faith. A place where we are encouraging and edifying one another. Oh, what awesome miracles are done in the community of Christ. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study with Cheryl Broderson. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is, When We All Work Together. Once again, our website is graciouswords.com and our toll-free number is 1-800-733-6443. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, Cheryl will continue her teaching in Acts chapter 18 with part three of her message, When We All Work Together.